0: Good morning. Please be seated. Well, welcome to the last Sunday after Epiphany. Epiphany 5. Today, Jesus appears in his glory. Well, this morning, I'm going to ask you to listen in a rather different way than we usually do. You know, before we became believers... Our lives completely revolved around us. You know, if truth be told, our motto was, it's all about me. (laughs) If it pleased us, if it interested us, if it's something that we wanted, then we paid attention to it, and if we didn't, it's like, you know, water off a duck's back. But when we came to new life in Christ, the center of our life and thinking actually changed. Paul says it this way. He said, I have been crucified with Christ. It is no longer I who live, but Christ who lives in me. And this life I now live in the flesh, I live by faith in the Son of God who loved me and gave himself for me. As a believer, our life came to be centered around the lovely, the excellent, the beautiful Jesus Christ. But often, when we look at the scriptures, we're tempted to look at them in the old way. We're tempted to think, well, what in the world does this have to do with me? How does this passage affect my life? Okay, well, that's not all wrong. We're about to start Lent this week, and certainly Lent is an appropriate time for us to be asking the question about ourselves and to focus on ourselves and say, Well, how is my spiritual walk, and how am I doing? This morning, however, I'm going to ask you to step outside of yourself, and I'm going to ask you, in fact, to step into someone else's shoes and see the Lord Jesus Christ through their experience. I'm going to ask you to step into the shoes of the Apostle Peter. Those shoes, by the way, are pretty well worn because Peter was no ivory tower academic. He was a blue collar kind of guy, a hard working man. And those shoes, well, they have their unique fragrance because, you see, he lived in the rough world of being a professional fisherman. So take out your Bibles, if you will, please, and turn with me to the gospel text for the morning, Luke chapter 9. Luke chapter 9, and we'll begin at verse 28. Now, about eight days after these sayings, he, Jesus, took with him Peter and John and James, and they went up on the mountain to pray. And while he was praying, the appearance of his face was altered, and his clothing became dazzling white. Some time ago, a friend asked me about this passage. You know, it seems really strange, doesn't it? So out of place. What does it mean? It's called the transfiguration of Jesus, and it gets that name because Jesus' appearance was altered or transfigured into something glorious and something marvelous, something shiny. Peter, James, and John, who were there, probably thought they were still dreaming when they actually saw it. And the transfiguration does indeed seem bizarre until we begin to see it through Peter's eyes. Now, word about this young rabbi, Jesus, had actually gone out throughout all of Galilee far and wide on the day that Jesus showed up on the beach. For it was from that beach that Peter and his little fishing company would launch their boats every evening. But on that particular morning, Jesus had a very strange command. Even though Peter had been at sea all night and had caught nothing, Jesus said, get back out there, Peter. you recall what happened. He caught such a huge load of fish that Peter's boat and that of his partner were almost swamped. And Jesus says to Peter, follow me. Peter did so immediately, but he did so with questions. Clearly, Jesus had supernatural insight into the natural phenomena of the world. But exactly who was Jesus? Well, if you look a little later in Luke chapter 5, Jesus has actually set up shop in a house, and dozens of people are coming to him to be healed. And these four guys bring the guy on, the, on, a, on a pallet, and they can't get in, so they go up on the roof, take off the roof, and they lower the man down right there in front of Jesus. But instead of healing the man, Jesus says to him, Man, your sins are forgiven. And Peter was right there to hear the Pharisees discussing among themselves... Who is this man who can forgive sins but God alone? Surely he must be a prophet, thought Peter, when Jesus then commanded the paralytic to get up and walk away. Peter was there in the boat in Luke chapter 8, the night that the storm hit and they were nearly all drowned. But Jesus, you know, he was just as cool as ever. He's back in the back of the boat. And he simply awoke, and he rebuked the wind and the waves, and the stillness was as breathtaking as the storm had been. And Peter and the others began to ask, Who is this man? Who is this who commands winds and sea? And they obey him. In Luke 9, chapter 11, Peter was there when Jesus fed the 5,000. And you remember they had 12 baskets left over from five loaves and two fish? Twelve baskets, one each for the disciples to carry. And as Peter carried away his basket, you know he wondered, Who is this man? Is he another Moses that calls down bread from heaven? All right, look in your text at Luke 9, beginning in verse 18. Peter was there when the twelve came up to Jesus who was praying, and Jesus turns to them and asks them the very question that they all had been asking, including all of Galilee. In fact, even Herod himself had been asking the question who is this man about whom we hear such things? Some were thinking, well, it's certainly this Jesus must be John the Baptist or Elijah or some other great prophet from the Old Testament for how else could these powers be at work in him? But when Jesus asked them, who do you think I am? Well, Peter had been thinking about this for weeks. Every day, he'd seen something new, something miraculous, something amazing, and he racked his brain, and he ran through every bit of his good Jewish boy training that he'd had since he was this high, trying to figure out, who is this Jesus? And all of a sudden, he shouts out, I got it! You're the Christ! The anointed one from God. (laughs) But strangely enough, Jesus doesn't say to him, yeah, you got it right, or no, Peter, you got the wrong end of the stick. Jesus just says, don't tell anybody anything. That's where we come to this morning's task in chapter 9, verse 28. Look at it. Now, about eight days after these sayings, he took Peter with him and John and James and went up on the mountain to pray. Now, everything that Peter had observed and heard and experienced from Luke chapter 5 right up to this moment was about to come to its culmination in the transfiguration. That's what those little words there, after eight days, mean. This is the summary of all that has come before. And the question that Peter and all Galilee had been asking for weeks or months was just about to receive its answer. Who is Jesus of Nazareth? He's the glorious, divine Son of God. The one to whom even the most prominent people in the Old Testament owe their loyalty. Moses, the lawgiver and the first prophet, Elijah, the miracle worker and perhaps the greatest prophet, they appear to take counsel from Jesus. Now on the mountain, Peter mistakenly wants to make three tents For each of them, as if three kings had come together on the field of battle as equals and partners. (laughs) But God rebukes Peter's mistaken mind. Was Moses great? Had he actually seen God's back on Mount Sinai? Yes. Was Elijah an oracle of God's power? Well, absolutely. God sent down fire from heaven to vindicate him. But concerning Jesus, God himself says this, verse 35, this is my son, my chosen one. Listen to him. Friends, who is Jesus Christ? A prophet? An anointed king? A great man used by God? Yes, but he is far more than any of those things. He is the divine Son of God. But keep yourself in Peter's shoes here just a little bit longer. What Peter had seen was so astonishing, so perplexing, in fact, so unbelievable that he could not even repeat a word of it. Look at verse 36. And when the voice had spoken, Jesus was found alone, and they kept silent and told no one in those days anything of what they had seen. Now, Peter had actually heard God's testimony to the real and true identity of Jesus Christ. But Peter had also heard the conversation between Jesus and two of God's greatest servants. Look back at verse 30. And behold, two men were talking with him, Moses and Elijah, who appeared in glory and spoke of his departure, which he, Jesus, was about to accomplish at Jerusalem. Jesus speaks of his departure. And the actual literal words here are Jesus' exodus, which he is about to accomplish in Jerusalem. For you see, the exodus that Jesus would lead was very much greater than the exodus which Moses led. Remember, Moses led the people out of Egypt, and most of them ended up dying in the wilderness. Moses himself, he never even made it to the promised land. Moses died on top of Mount Nebo. But Jesus would go before his people and he would bring them on an exodus out of mortal life into immortality and incorruptible flesh. And Jesus would accomplish this by dying on the cross in Jerusalem. But you know, you can hardly blame peter for not understanding all this right then at the moment in fact jesus had been telling peter and the others about this for some time but they just weren't able to get a hold of it look back at verse 22 in luke 9:22 just before the transfiguration jesus says the son of man must suffer many things and be rejected by the elders and chief priests and scribes, and be killed, and on the third day, rise. And then just a few days after the transfiguration, look at verse 44. Again, Jesus tells them, Let these words sink into your ears. The Son of Man is about to be delivered into the hands of men, but they did not understand this saying, and it was concealed from them, so they might not perceive it. They were afraid to ask him about this saying. It wasn't until after Jesus' resurrection that Peter would fully understand what was the meaning of the transfiguration. Now, turn with me to 2 Peter chapter 1. That was page 1018. 2 Peter. And let's keep walking in Peter's shoes here, shall we? Because 30 years have passed since the transfiguration. It is now the year 63 A.D. And Peter is writing to his friends in Asia Minor. Verse 16, he says, We did not follow cleverly devised myths when we made known to you the power and coming of our Lord Jesus Christ. We were eyewitnesses of his majesty, for when he received honor and glory from God the Father and the voice was borne to him by the majestic glory, this is my beloved son with whom I am, with whom I am well pleased. <laughs> you ever wonder what God's voice sounded like? We ourselves heard this very voice born from heaven, for we were there with him on the holy mountain. You see, the transfiguration means that the surety of your salvation doesn't depend on some good and well-intentioned human person. It doesn't even depend on some religious texts from old days. It doesn't even depend upon super saints and prophets from of old. Your salvation depends on nothing less than God's own glorious Son. He is divine by nature and majestic in appearance. Jesus is a beloved Son whose Father would never ever allow His Son's efforts to save you to go in vain. He will assuredly accomplish fully, powerfully, and irresistibly his plan of salvation for you. And all this, Peter says, is confirmed by God's own voice. That is what the transfiguration means. But let me ask you to take just one more step in Peter's shoes. Lucas carefully tucked away a little something here in this text just before he reveals to us the meaning of the transfiguration. And I wouldn't call this the meaning of the transfiguration, but I might call it what the transfiguration means for you and me. It's what it meant for Peter. Look back at Luke 9, verse 22. Luke 9, 22. Right after Jesus says that he must be rejected and killed, he says this. Verse 23. If anyone would come after me, let him deny himself and take up his cross daily and follow me. For whoever would save his life will lose it, but whoever loses his life for my sake will save it. For what does it profit a man if he gains the whole world and loses or forfeits himself? The glorious, the shining, the heavenly Jesus Christ came to save you by giving up his own life. By voluntarily laying down his life, Jesus made an exodus for all his people from sin... Despair, addiction, death, and corruption. No one else could do it. Not Elijah with all his spiritual powers. Not Moses with his glorious law. No one else could do it. Only the divine Jesus Christ. But all those who wish to be followers of Jesus are invited to imitate him. To be a disciple of Jesus Christ is to receive and accept the call to lay down whatever little glory you may have for Jesus, just as Jesus set aside his great glory for you. Now, not long after Peter wrote his second letter, about the year 65 AD, in the city of Rome, Peter embraced the invitation of Jesus with both hands. In fact, with his whole life, Peter was martyred by Nero, accepting crucifixion upside down. What does the Transfiguration mean? It means that no one less than God's own Son secured your salvation for all eternity. What does the transfiguration mean for you today? Well, you might not be called to walk in Peter's shoes, but I'll bet this week God will speak to you. And he will call you to lay aside your own power, your own privilege, your own position, for some work that he has for you, be that work great or small. So then, whose shoes will you walk in? May God give us grace to choose the shoes of Peter. Amen.